this week on the Iowa Watch Connection. I think the party really has to think about the extent to which they're going to implement these reforms. If you just try to implement them halfway, that that's going to cause a number of other issues. It's a long time until 2020, but not really. And it's a public forum, and it's a public declaration, and there's the opportunity persuasion of your fellow voters. There's a discussion. We talk to each other, which in this day and age is kind of a neat thing. We're very concerned that if we go to raw tolls, we're going to lose that aspect of the caucus process. Changes to our caucuses, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Last summer, we brought you a program about possible changes to the Iowa Presidential Precinct Caucuses, that uniquely Iowa phenomenon that puts the world political spotlight on our state every four years as the first test of voter preference takes place. In early December 2017, the National Democratic Party issued some guidelines for changes in our caucuses. Are they warranted? Will they adversely affect the process or our first-in-the-nation status? Now, some six months have gone by since those guidelines were issued, and still nothing has been determined. David Nagel is a Waterloo attorney, former congressman from Northeast Iowa, and former chair of the Iowa Democratic Party. He has been in the trenches fighting to keep Iowa's premier status for 40 years and was heavily involved with the process that led to the Iowa Party's self-study of its caucuses. We spoke on December 14th of last year in Waterloo, just a week after the National Party had identified its proposed reforms. So the National Party came up with some changes to the Iowa caucuses. How do you feel about these proposals? Good, bad? Oh, they're okay. I, you know, leave us alone would be better. It would be the best answer, but they're not going to do that. The, the changes, as you know, are, first of all, they want to increase absentee participation, people that can't get there because they're worked or disabled or for some other reason. That's a change we embrace because that change will enable us to involve more party in the party process, more people in the party process. The second was, though, and, and the sticking point is, of course, they want raw totals. And uh, that uh, is wrong in, from two standpoints uh, from our perception. The first is is that the caucuses are designed to be a party-building apparatus. And if you go to raw totals, you don't get the you don't get the caucus experience, the participation, the second choice or third choice for candidates. You don't get to talk to other people about their choice. One of the biggest things that distinguishes the caucus from a primary is, is that we meet at a specific location at a specific time, and it's a public forum, and it's a public declaration, and there's the opportunity persuasion of your fellow voters. There's a discussion. We talk to each other, which in this day and age is kind of a neat thing. We're very concerned that if we go to raw tolls, we're going to lose that aspect of the caucus process. So that's the biggest change. The third one, of course, was they want the same-day registration, which people don't realize we are, we've had since, uh, since the 1970s at least. The other problem, however, with raw totals is it puts us on a collision course with New Hampshire because New Hampshire, and their very fine Secretary of State out there, a good friend of mine, Bill Gardner, says that New Hampshire has the first primary, Iowa has the first caucus. And he's not going to allow Iowa to move to a primary process without causing consternation in New Hampshire. One of the things that uh, gave us a problem was 
when the Unity Commission was meeting and made these changes, New Hampshire wasn't in the room. And so their considerations or their concerns weren't taken into consideration. So we're going to reach out to New Hampshire to make sure that they understand we're still on the same wavelength. We understand their concerns. And as we move through the process, we're kind of, kind of going to try to, to address their concern about uh, raw totals as opposed to delegate alignment. Do we know how some of this would be implemented? Because, for example, the absentee, I understand the idea of opening it up, but the whole point of viability that has been a hallmark of the Democratic caucus in Iowa, if you're submitting an absentee ballot, how do you, or an absentee preference, how do you participate in a second or a third round, or does that fundamentally change? No, that, that won't. Uh, uh, i got to give credit to John McCormley and, and uh, Jamie Fitzgerald, who served on the caucus review committee that I just finished my tenure with. What we'll do is, is that we're going to create 99 artificial precincts so that the, so that the, the participation, the, the absent participant, actually takes place almost as if he was at a precinct caucus. And we will realign based on the preferences that that individual indicates, their first choice, second choice, third choice, and we'll assign delegates to that precinct. And so that's a, I want to interrupt just because that's a fundamental point that I'm not sure people have understood. If you're going to do this by absentee and there are six candidates, let's say, you're going to be asked to rank order them so that you can declare a second or a third choice for viability in that, if you will, shadow precinct. That's exactly right. It's a it's kind of unique because, but it does this too. It avoids the danger. Going back to the premise, caucuses are party building activities. It, it do, avoids the danger of somebody just simply parking their butt in Iowa City and turning out forty thousand absentee ballots and then looking and saying, "Hey, look, we won the raw total." Uh, this forces them to go back to each county. There are currently one thousand six hundred and seventy-one precincts in Iowa. There will now be 1,780, 99 more. And we have a preference for it. We have a, a history for it because we've already done an artificial precinct for those Iowans living abroad or serving in the military service that want to participate. So I think we, I think we can handle that aspect of it. Because this is just expanding something you already know works. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, it, it adds to the manpower and it adds to the hours, but I think we can, I think we can do that. And from our standpoint... Enabling those people who couldn't get there to still be part of the process increases our donor base, increases our volunteer list, increases our, our number of uh, Democrats we can identify with. So really it's a party building mechanism for us that I think the party's kind of excited about. How is it then that this raw vote total reporting thing has crept in? Is it a matter that the national party wants to play to the national media who have a hard time, in my view, ever understanding the caucuses and it's easier to tell the raw numbers or what? I've been doing this a long time. Every, after every caucus, the loser has a reform that if we just would have had the rule, they would have won. And uh, Senator Sanders is absolutely convinced that if we'd done raw totals, he would have won. So, by gosh, let's change the rules for the future because Senator Sanders. But he's not alone. Uh, you look back, uh, Hillary Clinton was uh, absolutely convinced that she would have won the contest with Barack Obama and John Edwards if the people that worked second shift, who were all for her, would have been able to attend. So we changed a little bit to accommodate second shift workers. Uh, so I think it, it's more um, Jeff Weaver was the the... the uh, 
the big proponent of this, and it's a, I think I call it the Sanders revenge because uh, he's convinced that if we could do 216 over again, Bernie would be the nominee. Was that an overreaction with regard to the Democrats in 2016, the closeness of the Iowa caucus leading to all of this consternation, or was it appropriate? No, it, uh, look, the problem with the caucuses, first of all, they were cumbersome, but they were accurate. But secondly, about 75% of the problems with the caucus were logistical. Getting people in, getting them registered, getting the thing done on time. Uh, the accuracy of the count I don't think is in dispute. Uh, but beyond that, uh, yeah, there was an overreaction, and we partially created that because in, to avoid the Republican 2012 wrong announcement, we chose not to announce until we were absolutely certain. The problem was that we didn't say anything. We didn't tell people what we were doing. We left the media with about two hours of dead time, and that led to people who didn't know what they were talking about grabbing a microphone and pontificating and projecting without a basis of, of a factual background and historical understanding. So the 5% of the problem we got there, 75% was logistical, 20% was the closeness of the race, and 5% was on us for not explaining the process and allowing that two hours of dead time to exist out there. Yeah, we did overreact to it. We've got a long ways to go, and uh, I think that uh, we're, we're certainly going to make it a point to consult with closely uh, with New Hampshire. First, we're going to try to get them into the room. Secondly, we're going to try to explain why an absentee participation ballot is not an absentee ballot per se. And then we're going to try to have them leverage with us, with the DNC, that while you want raw totals, we'll give you raw totals. While if you want verification, we'll give you verification accuracy. They're entitled to that. But we may not be able to do it the same night as the caucus is done. We might have to wait. Uh, and we might have to make sure we're accurate on that. And that could take up to 30 days. You know, it's, it's a slow process. And if it just happens to take 30 days to get an accurate uh, raw total out of Iowa, and that just happens to take us past Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada, well, I guess so be it then, huh? Well, it's a coincidence, but, you know, sometimes you win with coincidences. <laughs> <laughs> the executive director and editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, Lyle Muller, joins me now. Lyle, you and I have both covered these caucuses from the time they just began. How important a news event is it as opposed to a party event, which Dave Nagel, of course, points out that it is a party development event. Well, it certainly is a party development, but it's huge news, I would say, not just in Iowa, but especially in New Hampshire and other parts of the country. Iowa starts that presidential election process with those precinct caucuses, so any kind of change is going to be big national news, and people are going to be paying attention to it. But especially up in New Hampshire, they're going to be paying attention to it because there's this question of who goes first. And if Iowa has something that's more of a voting system that looks like a primary, you might have some, uh, some pushback from New Hampshire about that. This process, this event, the caucuses, has changed greatly over the past 40, 50 years. How different is it to cover as a reporter now as opposed to when it first began, when it was in its infancy? 
Interestingly, just getting to the event is difficult because of the traffic tie-ups, especially if you're in a large city. Now, in some of those rural areas of Iowa, there still are the homes where people go, but in a place like Iowa City, Waterloo, Sioux City, Des Moines, the crowds were so large at the last one, just getting to them was difficult. Another thing is, is just talking with people. There are plenty of people to talk to. These things are much larger than they used to be. But getting the business done is difficult, and getting it reported is difficult. And then finally, trying to do that when there's so much noise going on. And what I mean by noise is not internally, but at the national level. People wondering, what's going on in Iowa? What does it all mean? And how is that going to affect the selection of our next president? Those are all changing because of how many people are interested in going to the caucuses and also how many people are interested in what the results are. Caucuses are gatherings of people. They are private events for the Republican and Democratic parties to pick delegates to go to the next step. It's not even voting for candidates. It's to pick delegates. And we've been able to get attention because those delegates then get attached to the presidential candidates. When we come back, the view of an Iowa political scientist. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our look at the possible changes in the Iowa Presidential Precinct Caucuses now with native Iowan Christopher Larimer, a return guest to this program, who is a professor of political science at the University of Northern Iowa. We spoke shortly after the National Party issued its guidelines for Iowa caucus reform last December. The concept of altering the caucuses is supposedly to get more people involved. Is that the sort of thing that there's been a great demand for among Iowans? Do we really know other than anecdotally people saying, I can't participate because I work second shift or whatever? I think that's a great question. I I don't think we actually know if more Iowans want to get involved. The, the, The problem with the caucuses has always been, at least in terms of participation, that you have a low participation rate. Generally, you're talking with caucuses about 20% of active voters within a party actually participating in the caucuses. So we may have years 
like uh, 2016 with the Republican Party where there were 170-plus thousand people turning out, and that was considered a good year. But we had over 600,000 registered Republicans at the time. Um, and so I think there's still a real question about whether or not Iowans want to participate in the political process because we've seen – and I think they do. I think there is a, a significant segment of the electorate that wants to, but generally voters in Iowa and elsewhere – you know, we've seen efforts to to ease party registration, right? We've had motor voter law. We've had, you know, I'll have online registration. Same-day registration. Same That's day. the motor voters yeah, situation. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Right? We've seen other states, Oregon, Washington, go to uh, vote by mail. All elections are vote by mail to try to ease the process, the participation process. And we haven't seen a real big uptick in uh, participation rates. Um, and so I think there's still a real question out there about whether or not this is going to improve or increase participation because generally, you know, we, it's easier to be involved. But we've also seen attitudes about government go down dramatically, right? Trust in government is at all-time low. Approval of Congress are at all-time low. So I think until we fix uh, the issue as far as people having a more positive orientation toward government, I don't know that changing some of these rules is going to have that big of an effect. Is this going to take us further away from our uniqueness and closer toward just doing what everybody else does? In other words, is there a little bit of a loss by making these sorts of changes? Well, I think it's there's still a question about how some of these changes are going to be implemented. I think, you know, there is a uniqueness, particularly on the Democratic side, on the Iowa caucuses with the 15 percent viability rule, the formation of preference groups. You know, that always captures... It seems like the national media's attention every four years that they're going into living rooms and watching people, how, watching groups, how they form preference groups. Um, and so if, if that goes away, I think there is a bit of uniqueness that's lost. But I think the, the other part of this is just the implementation side. So if you, if you start opening this up to, to absentee, uh, absentee voting, I don't know how that fits with a viability rule. I don't know how that fits with the formation of preference groups and getting to that 15% if you're allowing absentee votes. The notion of reporting raw vote totals, I think, is a fantastic idea. As a political scientist, I would love to see raw vote totals at the first at the first formation and then after the viability rule is implemented because that would give you a much better sense of candidate strength. But if, if you're reporting raw vote totals but then still going back to just saying here are the state delegate equivalents, what's the point of reporting the raw vote totals other than to cause more criticism about the Iowa caucuses? Because then you're putting yourself in a position where – you're going to have candidates who are not viable but who are getting significant number of raw votes, but they're not getting any delegates at the end. And that's always been one of the criticisms. And now Iowa seems like if these rules are implemented, we're just making that, that uh, maybe disconnect even more public. One of the comments I found interesting by some of these national officials was that they wanted to minimize the number of caucuses. They don't seem to like the whole caucus process. And that's the sort of thing that, again, it gets from a strategy standpoint. I thought that was an excellent point. If you're running a caucus, you need to have someone in every precinct available to speak on your behalf. It's a very different ground game as opposed to let me spend my time in the big media markets, in the big cities, and just really do well there as opposed to a 99-county strategy, which is what you have to have now. Right, you you absolutely you have to have the ground game. You have to have the organization, and and that's how you see, and that's why we see certain candidates who maybe don't do well nationally or don't do well after Iowa, which has happened a, a number of times recently, particularly on the Republican side. They can do well in a caucus-like state like Iowa, but then after Iowa, we don't see them go anywhere. Um, you, you know, you can think about like uh, Rick Santorum in 2012, right? He had he had a, exactly what you said, a precinct captain in every county. He had county chairs. 
And in the end, he wins the Iowa caucuses, but then obviously, you know, uh, his campaign kind of falls flat after Iowa. And we've seen that with other candidates. And you can look at, you know, the correlations between how well, particularly on the Republican side, a candidate does in Iowa versus how they end up, how well they end up doing in New Hampshire and then after New Hampshire. And so it, it changes everything about the campaign if we start to really implement these reforms. But also, I think the party really has to think about the extent to which they're going to implement these reforms. If you just try to implement them halfway, that that's going to cause a number of other issues. Christopher Larimer, University of Northern Iowa political scientist, and earlier David Nagel, former congressman and former chair of the Iowa Democratic Party. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more, iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at Iowa Watch, and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting about the program. We're on Facebook, too, facebook.com slash iowawatch. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. The program is produced in the studios of KXEL Radio, Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Cedar Rapids. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.